Welcome to The Pretense of Justice with hosts Carmen, Roland, Sherry, and Sonia, where we discuss current events, controversies, and all things justice as we advocate for injustice. Let the justice begin. and not our hearts and we only are going to get better. Um, this evening we have uh, Mr. Roland Carter and he will be bringing us current news. We have Ms. Sonia Robertson which will be bringing our tinfoil conspiracy theories. We will be having me bring in uh, any injustices that's in the, the prison system or the illegal system is what I'd like to call it. And we have Ms. Sherry Williams um, bringing a youth perspective. And I kick it over to Mr. Carter. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Pretense of Justice. Uh, the first thing I want to jump right into is the current news that's going on is uh, uh, last week, uh, President Joe Biden came out and said that he was going to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court. Uh, so I want to uh, take a little time and spend on that subject real quick. Um, I'm going to move right into it. President Biden and his legal team have spent the year preparing for this moment, the chance to make good on his pledge to name the first black woman to the Supreme Court at a time of continual racial reckoning for the country. The decision by Justice Stephen Breyer to retire will give Mr. Biden his most high profile opportunity since taking office to reshape the federal judiciary, having already nominated dozens of district and appeals court judges from a range of racial, ethnic, and legal backgrounds. His promise also underscores how much black women have struggled to become part of a very small pool of elite judges in the nation's higher federal courts. Speculation on Wednesday focused on a rare field group of well-credentialed black women who have elite educations and experience on the bench on the bench the short list included kentonji brown jackson a 51 year old judge on the u.s court of appeals for the district of columbia circuit court who graduated from harvard law school and clerk and clerk for justice Breyer, and lee Leandra Kruger, a 45-year-old justice on the California Supreme Court, graduated from Yale Law School and clerked for former Justice John Paul Stevens. And then uh, these are the three leading ones. This is the third one, J. Michelle Childs, a little-known federal district court judge in South Carolina, whom Mr. Biden recently nominated for an appeals court, is also seen as a potential contender. One of Mr. Biden's top congressional allies, Representative James E. Clyburn of South Carolina, told Mr. Biden during the presidential campaign that he believes she should be appointed in part because she came from a blue collar background, another underrepresented group among federal judges. So with this being said, and uh, we look at the backlash from this and the backlash that we see is because he said <laughs> it was a black woman that's being appointed. Uh, should he have just simply said woman? Maybe so. But I don't understand what, what the big uproar is about him saying a black woman. 
because if you look at the history of the appointments to the uh, Supreme Court from day one, it's been over a hundred and something white men that have been appointed. Um, so it was like all the way up until uh, Thurgood Marshall was appointed, which was the first black man to, to sit on the Supreme Court. And then right after that, Ronald Reagan appointed the first woman. Uh, Rhonda, can you uh, play that clip, please? nominee to fill the vacancy on the United States Supreme Court created by the resignation of Justice Stewart. Since I'm aware of the great amount of speculation about this appointment, okay. I want to share this if very important trouble, decision I'll with you go ahead and say as what soon it is as possible. That he, said. Uh, he, he came out, and this was, I believe, was back in August of 1981, I believe, when he nominated the first woman. And he said, you know, out of all these years, I'm going to nominate the first woman, which turned out to be Sandra Day O'Connor. And she was passed right on through. Then we came up to um, when a couple of years ago, when Donald Trump was in as president, he nominated a woman and said it out there in the open and said, I'm nominating a woman. And Nobody was up in the uproar and he ended up putting, uh, I don't know her name, but I think it's Amy something. And next thing you know, nobody said anything. They got her on there. I mean, she had some opposition, but she still, it only took 20 something days before, I think 27 days before they put her on the court. Now that Biden is saying that he's putting a black woman on, it's a big uproar about it. But I could not believe my ears today when I heard uh, Senator Lindsey Graham from South Carolina standing up for her, standing up for one of the appointees that's coming out of South Carolina. Uh, it, it just made all the sense in the world what he, what he stood up and said on, uh, I believe was on Fox News today um, or yesterday. Um, I was hoping that we was would be able to hear it. They can actually but, hear it. They can hear it. You just couldn't hear it. So if you want me to back it I would and like, replay it, I can. can they can hear can it. You, can you play the, the last one, uh, the one that's listed as Supreme Court? Because this is this is Ted Cruz, mm -hmm. uh, another senator, two other senators, and the Senator uh, Susan Collins from Maine, who are in opposition, and then you have uh, Lindsey Graham following it up. So can you uh, play that? Yeah, before I play that, I just want to say um, in the comments, Court Watch PG, uh, Peace and Love, Court Watch PG was responding to your Reagan drop, and Court yes. Watch PG says Sandra Day O'Connor was his appointment. Uh, I'm assuming Yeah, I Reagan. said that. Okay, okay, and then Amy... Connie Barrett. Okay, that's her. Now I did. I didn't know her last name. Okay. All righty. So um, I'll play the Ted Cruz one. Just a okay. Sec. Thank you.
that he's willing to make a promise at the outset that it must be a black woman. I got to say that's offensive. Black women are what, 6% of the U.S. population? <laughs> he's saying to 94% of Americans, I don't give a damn about you. That ought to be the litmus test, not race, not religion, not gender, not anything else. But are you willing to follow the Constitution? It just shows, I think, that Joe Biden is willing to do anything for power. The irony is that the Supreme Court is at the very same time hearing cases about uh, about this sort of affirmative racial <laughs> discrimination. Yes. And, 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 and while adding someone who is the beneficiary of, uh, of this sort of quota. I believe that diversity benefits the Supreme Court, but the way that the president has handled this nomination has been clumsy at best. It adds to the further perception that the court is a political institution. What President Reagan said is as one of his Supreme Court justices, he would like to appoint a woman. Put me in the camp of making sure the court and other institutions look like America. And President Reagan said, running for office, that he wanted to put the first female mm -hmm. on the court. Whether you like it or not, Joe Biden said, I'm going to pick an African-American woman to serve on the Supreme Court. I believe there are plenty of qualified African-American women, conservative and liberal, that could go on to the court. Okay, they they've seen the video. Okay, they saw the video. Okay, that's good. Okay, I would like before I uh, end this segment, I would like to talk to everybody out here and listening to this podcast to please subscribe, like, and share with your family and friends. And as Carmen said in the opening, that this is going to do nothing but get better and better as we go along. So now I open this subject and this topic up to the rest of the panel here so i'm confused so i'm trying to figure out who's up who's in an uproar about the president saying he's appointing a black woman to uh you know to as a justice like i don't I, where where's the I, I don't understand what the problem is well if 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 we could have you guys didn't hear it but you had Ted Cruz and a couple of other Republican senators who are going at it hard about it. Um, I don't see, and, and, and like I said, Sidney, uh, Lindsey Graham is the only one so far that I've heard on the Republican side that has, is backing it. You know, basically he was saying if they have the credentials and this, that, and the third, that they, it shouldn't be no problem whether it's a black woman or a white woman or whatever. I think with the problem is that Biden probably shouldn't have said black woman. He just probably should have just said a woman and just did it from that point of view. But it's terrible when you have to hear the backlash coming from people who don't even understand or know these people shooting it down before they even present it. So. I don't think he made a mistake by saying black woman. Right. I don't now. think he, I don't think he made um, what I'm, what I'm saying is, he, sh he probably shouldn't have said that. But it was on purpose. 
you yeah. gotta remember his 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 rating right now is is very low. Yep. And they need some type of distraction to make him look good. Right now, everybody's seeing him and his administration for what it really is. So by putting him in, saying that, okay, there's a black, we're going to nominate a black woman for the Supreme Court. I don't understand. I would want someone who's going to be more qualified. Not, I don't care if they're black, blue, green, purple, or yellow, so long as they're going to be, you know, not one-sided and, and be able to balance the actual scales and make a great decision on whatever case they hear. You know, what difference does it make of if it's a man or a woman? You know, but I really think that he's, they're using this to get some points, to score some points with Americans. And to be honest with you, it wasn't working with me. You know, well, if you, if you, um, if you go back, if you go back to when he was, he was running, uh, I have to find that clip. He had already said it before he was even elected that if he if he had the opportunity he would appoint a black woman. So, is the timing a factor? Of course, it's to get his ratings up. It's no ifs ands or buts about it. But I still don't understand. Like you said, whether it be black, red, green, or purple, if these women are qualified, which from what I see they are, I, mean, they I don't been. see a, I don't see an issue with it. But when they had when Trump tried to do the same thing, what did they do? They shot the idea down. No, they didn't. He the did. Man, they rushed her right through in twenty-seven days. And like I said, they tried. Mitch McConnell, hold on, Mitch McConnell, and the people in that Senate rushed that through in twenty-seven days. If they were qualified for the job and they went out in front of the Senate and they appointed this, they appointed these people, what difference does that make? As long as they go up there and do their job and do it with, with, with equality, don't sit up there and, and being bought. And guess what? They got a couple of them on there that are bought. It's perfect that you said that because I was thinking the reason why he could be appointing her is because she endorsed him March of 2020 for his last campaign. She dropped out of the running for December 2019 and she endorsed his campaign. And which one are you talking about? For March of 2020, last year, she endorsed um, Biden on in 2020 for his running. Which so, one are you talking about? These are my child's. Camilla Harris. Uh -huh endorse Joe Biden's campaign. Mm -hmm. March of 2020, she endorsed Biden. She was Wait, what I don't understand where you where are you coming at with Kamala Harris? We know I didn't say anything. Kamala Harris is the vice president. This is something she, dealing with this is being these are judges being appointed to the Supreme Court. There's there's maybe 10 names out there right now. Those, the three that I named are just the top three. So well, I'm, was, I'm not well, understanding where you're coming in with Kamala Harris. Black, when, when they were saying, oh, he's going to appoint a black woman. Uh, when I was looking up for Joe Biden appointing a first black woman to Congress was supposed to be Miss Harris. Huh? I don't. I don't understand what, you, what you're talking about. He 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 can't appoint nobody to Congress. 
This is what I is what I had saw online when I was um, looking up who was this first black woman that he was talking about, and it. You mean the first black woman as a vice presidential running mate? Yeah, that's why. Yeah, he. Yeah, we're talking, to, we, what we're talking about, we're talking about to the Supreme Court. We're not talking about Kamala Harris being nominated to the Supreme Court. Well, I can tell you this much, Lindsay. I like Lindsey Graham, but Lindsey Graham, he's a flip flopper. You never know what you're going to find. He's been he's been a flip flopper. All of them been flip flopping. I know. They, they, it's all about standing Congress and making that money. So just real quick, Court Watch uh, PG says, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is rolling in her grave. Sotomayor was a historical pick as the first Latina picked to the court. Mm -hmm. The choice should be no different. And then LJ said, agreed. And then Court Watch PG came back and said the significance of black female choice was perfectly fine to announce, but because black women as officials in high office is trending and he was keeping a campaign promise with buyer's retirement. And then um, Veronica Cunningham, uh, peace and love to you and uh, LJ, welcome. The real issue is that we have no true black representation on the Supreme Court. Clarence Thomas did not count. He is simply, <laughs> I was trying to keep a straight face on that y'all. He is simply doing the directives of his wife. Okay, so thanks for the comments. I really think that the, the Supreme Court judge was not ready to announce that he was going to retire. Somebody leaked that information. He was very surprised about that, but had no other choice but to go ahead and announce it because they needed it at this time. Because like I said, that administration is a hot mess. And yes, I think we probably do need a, a someone to go in and represent <clears throat> the color uh, of black people in America. But at the same time, just like I said before, what difference does it make about race? Only I, I always say, if you're there for the people and to support the people and gonna judge equally, what difference does it make in regards to race? We play too much of our society in race when it has not, to be honest with you, they're playing, like I said before, they're playing us against each other when it regards to race. The perfect person to get up there and is going to do the job and is going to be there for the people and, and be equal and making judgments that is going to be uh, according to the law, I support. Whether they, I don't care what color they are, I don't care if they're man, woman, as long as they do their job. Hmm. Okay. You okay. have anything to you have anything to say about that comment? Well, y'all know how I feel about the Supreme Court. I well, speak, well, speak speak your portion of understanding. I mean, y'all know how I feel about the Supreme Court. I am speaking my my understanding. I've been there twice with no remedy, so I, I don't care if they black, white, purple, green, yellow, live on Mars. If if they don't want you to win, you're not gonna win. And that's that. 
And and that's how I feel about that. Like I don't I don't trust the the injustice injustice system. Period. So it doesn't matter to me who they put in there, black, white. It it don't it don't matter. You know what I mean? And it's thousands of people like me that did not or have not or, and will not get justice in the Supreme Court after you've spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Family out there, click. Click the uh, sub subscribe button and thumbs up button. That's all I got to say on that. I wanted to uh, also oh. throw this out there, so I don't I don't know if anybody understand who the federal Federalist Society is. Any yeah. any of you guys know who the Federalist Society is? Well, Justice Supreme all is six Federalists society members on the Supreme Court, and that is John Roberts, Clarence Thomas, um, Brett Kavanaugh, Neil Gorsuch, and Amy Comey Barrett. Now, these are the people who believe in the original way that the Constitution was set up without the 13th, the 14th, and the 15th amendments and any other amendment out, out, you know, outside of those. They believe in the strict rule of the Constitution. And the Federalist Society was those guys who, like Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton and people like that, these people believed in slavery okay because you got to keep in mind when the I, I think i said something about the preamble to the constitution and it was talking about our posterity in the beginning of it and at that time black people in this in this country were enslaved they didn't get any rights what were not even rights privileges until after the Civil War. So anything before that, just like when uh, Chief Justice Roger B. Taney, or Taney, however you want to pronounce his name, said that the white man is not bound to respect anything from a black man. And he said that the people, and I think I said something the last time that uh, in, in um, the the the, 1857 case, um, Dred Scott, when he said that, you know, the con the Constitution does not apply to them, the slaves or their descendants. And the Federalist Society agrees with that. But these are the six Federalist Society judges that sit on the Supreme Court, including Clarence, Thomas, Sambo Thomas. So that's just my opinion. It's important pay for position. Important pay for position. Yes, they are. You know, anything that's gonna line their pockets, they're gonna go with. I'm sorry, that's just how I feel. You know, it's very difficult to trust someone you send to a position of higher power and expect them to do their job and not feel like they have to be walking around taking money and putting it in their pocket and don't say anything about it. 
and they've been doing that for so long. It's like you can't trust nobody. Money has always been the root of all evil. And that's my take on that. So I, I just got a, a, a text from someone who they just said that they got off and that they are offended by the conversation that we are having and the fact that this is not helping him or his peers. And so I I'm texting him a book right now, letting him know that it's unfortunate that he did get off, number one. And number two, that I, I do not have the fact that I've been in the injustice system, that I am a political or was a political inmate. You know what I'm saying? So for this person to send me this and not give it an opportunity or a chance to hear all of us talk, we're not going to spend the whole hour and a half talking about who the heck Biden is putting in, in the justice, in the justice seat. And everyone knows how I feel. The name of my book is called The Pretense of Justice, which means the fake me out justice. So I'm, I'm typing a book right now. So I'll get back to typing my book to this person. Excuse me. Can I say this too? I know, I know y'all not gonna believe that, you know, y'all know I didn't fall out of heaven, right? Now, I'm a, a, a former person who was formerly incarcerated myself. So I spent seven years in the feds and seven and, and a couple of years in DC prison system. So I'm just on here giving my portion of understanding and I'm not here to uh, cause anybody any concern, but the only thing I'm doing is giving any, any and everybody my portion of understanding. The topic that's at hand is just some uh, news. That's all it is. We're, we're going to move on to different subjects. And I just hope you stick around and uh, pay attention because you might learn something somewhere along the line. And just so uh, with it. just another comment, just real quick in the um, chat. Karen Smith says Mitch McConnell played Trump. Of course he did. They all did. They all played him. But it's near here or there at this point. I mean, they all, I don't care what side of the aisle they on. They all crooks. They all are. We're just, a, we're just a, the peasants out here doing the dirty work while they sitting on their pedestal waiting to see how much they can actually have us dancing around doing what they want us to do. It don't matter who it is, whether they Republican or Dem Democrats. Agreed. Agreed. And it just don't make sense. That's all I'm saying. We out here voting for these people and they're not doing anything for us. Not one thing. All right, and since we, uh, so Roland, may I move on to the- Yes, the, oh yeah, sure, yes. The next topic. Um, so the next topic is with me. I just wanted to, to talk about a, just a, a couple of things. Um, the next couple of weeks, first of all, we'll be talking about those eight Crime Act bills. And so once a week, I'll bring up uh, uh, one of the Crime Act bills and just tell you a little bit about it. I go more in details, or you can Google it yourself, but I go more in details in my book about these 
Crime Act bills that have created a wave of mass incarceration on our people. And, um, and I want to start with the 1968 one, which was signed into law by Lyndon Johnson, and it was called the Safe Street Act. And it increased the flow of federal money to local and state polices. And it was a, it was a point, it was a law that it had already been in place. How can I say it? There had already been for decades worth of punitive criminal control laws that rampant the rate of incarceration. But it started with this 1968 one when we start talking about people of color. Because when you think about it, back then and Capone and all of them, they were they uh, a lot of, of the, I don't know what you call them, Roland, the gangsters and stuff were these, these um, crime acts was created for them. And, but then by the time 1968, around that time came, they used it to create a wave of mass incarceration for people of color. And I just want to explain that. And so next week I'll go into the 1971 that um, that was signed in by uh, a Nixon. Um, I also want to report on the fact that at Alderson Federal Prison Camp in West Virginia, there's an older woman that's there, and I'm not sure what her name is, um, but um, the women there are being mistreated uh, grossly. And um, this particular woman, she has asthma and she's down to a few pumps left on her asthma pump. And they literally have told her today that she has to wait 60 days to get a new asthma pump. And to me, that is so outrageous. They even said to her that um, she's been using it too much, but she has extreme asthma. Um, so if you have family members that, um, that are at Alderson Federal Prison Camp for Women, I strongly suggest that you contact the, the warden and, and which they not no good, but contact the warden and all of them and, and, and find out what's going on with your family members. And a lot of times the family members that are behind the wall, we don't like to tell you guys what's actually going on. And this is the time for our loved ones that are behind the wall to be as transparent and to be as open and honest as possible, like I was with my two sisters. And, um, you, you know, so if you got family members in any prison, jail, camp, or cage around the United States, it's very important that you drill your loved one behind that wall to find out what's actually happening. Because if they don't tell you, especially the men that are behind the wall, they really don't like to tell what's going on. But if they if they are in there being starved to death, no medical care, no no you know being uh, sexually abused, men and women being sexually abused, being beat by guards and and all kinds of stuff like that, they need to be as honest as possible. Um, we got so many you know, people that are dying in these prisons, jails, camps, and cages around the United States. And that is at an alarming rate. Um, and that has just blown my mind. You know, in Maryland, in the last three years, 215 um, deaths have happened in behind the wall. In Pittsburgh, they've had uh, 10 deaths in the last year. Philadelphia, 22 deaths in the last year, Baton Rouge, 
Um, they've had 55 deaths in the last three years. Rakers Island, they've had 17 deaths in uh, the last year. California, in the last eight years, they've had 240 deaths. St. Louis, they've had, I don't have the number for St. Louis, oh, eight, eight deaths. Um, Tennessee, which was interesting, which I got that today, 186 since 2021. And what was interesting, they listed out 11 suicides, five homicides, 39 accidentals, 60 COVID, and then 71, they not sure how, how the people died. So I just wanted to share that. So anybody got any, any comments on that? And by the way, please hit the like, please subscribe. Family out there, any of y'all wanna make any comments? Well, I mean, myself, like I said a little while ago, that I, I was incarcerated at a time in my life, especially during my younger years. And I seen all of those things that you just said. You know, I seen the the stabbings, the killings, the uh, never seen the rape, but because it's a whole bunch of them and they're just actually giving it away for nothing. You know what I mean? Um, but there are rapes that I have heard about, especially when you get up to those uh, levels of uh, maximum security and things like that. That's when those things really are, are on the, I mean, they are very high when you're coming in there like that. But, you know, um, the mind, the mindset of the people that go in there. See, if 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 you go in there, the backgrounds that you're coming from, most of them, because the majority of them are going in as quote unquote criminals. Where you have political prisoners, also you have mentally ill people who are being incarcerated that should not be incarcerated in that type of setting because they they are sick. Um, but you do have a segment who get in there and they, and they do some of the craziest things to each other. I mean, I witnessed some guys lighting another inmate while he was watching TV. They would get down below his legs while he was sitting down and, and, and light his jumpsuit on fire. You know, the mindset is... They think it's a playground. And but if you if you're incarcerated all day, you have races, guards, because most of these places are in rural uh West Virginia, Pennsylvania, all these rural areas, and these people are not used to dealing with people who don't look like them. Because most of the people that look like them end up in camps. They don't end up in the uh, mediums and the uh, maximums and the supermaxes unless they belong to the Aryan Brotherhood. So there's a lot of gang activity going on in those different uh, facilities. And the government then gave up on quote unquote rehabilitation. There's nothing about, there's nothing rehabilitating. They That's out the door now. So if you coming in there and you getting a high number, you just, hey, go at it. 
It's the Terror Dome. Go at it. And the guards turning their backs to it because a lot of them are in cahoots with some of them. So it's a lot of things that we could talk about, about those issues. It's just, it's just, it's just out of control. It's out of control. Sherry, did you want to say anything on that? No, I, my experience from being incarcerated, I've seen a lot of, there's been a lot of fights, a lot of arguing. It's just with women, they caddy. So to me, it was more of the inmate versus inmate situations. I know where we was, I, it was a prison camp. So guards wasn't really around much for intervenience for me to say, okay, you know, they did or did not do what they were supposed to at the, at a lot of points. So I don't really have much on, on I, I didn't see things that I didn't feel was unwarranted with certain people. And because from where I was, it was a low, it was low security. It was low charges. Nobody was really violent. Nobody had violent charges where I was. So my experience is just different. Okay, so so basically what what I'm I'm talking about is the, the, the last few years since this COVID thing um has has hit. So um like when I was just reading about the woman and and the asthma pump. And then of course, I mean I got stacks and stacks and stacks of stuff that people are sending me that's going on around the, you know, jails, prison camps and cages all around the United States because of COVID. COVID is running rapid inside of these these whether they are high security whether they are camps COVID is running rapid and so my concern is the fact that no one's doing anything about it now of course in in 2020 the news and everybody was making a big deal hey got to you know get a lot of the low-risk people out and things of that nature but then all of a sudden here it is we're in 2022 and that stopped and so now people are literally, the food portions are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And um, so that's an issue. And then there is little medical care or, or none. They're, they're, they're not giving out medications. Like I just said about the asthma pump, that's just one story, but I get stories all day long. I get emails all day long. You know what I mean? And so when, what the abuse that I'm talking about, when I'm talking about these deaths that I'm talking about is unexplained deaths. Is unexplained deaths. And then of course, suicides. We, we get that, you know, keeping people locked up on in, in solitary confinement, that's a big issue. And, and that's a good place for someone to commit suicide. So at the end of the day, I, I, I was at a prison camp and I didn't find nothing cute about it. And I was drugged on the floor and strangled. So I was at a low risk. I was at the same place Martha Stewart was and I was strangled until I passed out. And I'm a lady, I didn't want that. I didn't ask for that. I didn't deserve that. And so I don't care if a man or a woman or a juvenile 
is in the highest risk jail, prison camp or cage or to the lowest. No one deserved to be treated like an animal. No, and nobody, I, nobody deserves I, to be treated like that at all. Nobody. I stand mm -hmm. by that. Tonya, do you have anything to say since you're my sister? Yes, I was my sister. So <clears throat> you were saying something about, you know, family members reaching out to their, um, the ones who are behind the wall or in prison. You know, me and my younger sister had to do the same thing. I mean, I, the warden knew my phone number by heart. Hello, Sonia. When I picked, when I used to call, like consistently, if she called me and there was something going on, I'm on that phone. I will call, continue back to back until somebody picked that phone up and I spoke to the warden. I mean, I'm like, I'm coming to town. I need to, you know, we had set times that you can go and see your loved ones and they put you on special schedules. I'm like, we're not doing a special schedule because I'm coming from out of town. When I get there, I will be able to see her. No problems. But when it was issues and not the warden wasn't doing what he was supposed to do, we picked up the phone and called our congressman. We picked up the phone and called people from up there in Washington, D.C. To, to, to help to, to move things along because it was bad. You know, because not only was my sister going through that in there, we were going through it with her, but we wasn't there. So it was the same thing. So when if you know that you're being stressed out about what's going on with your loved one, you need to pick up the phone because technically these people who's behind the walls, you know, they can get to a situation where if someone listening to their conversation about what they want us to do outside might get them in trouble and put them in solitaire, things like that. So you got to push. If you feel that there's something going on, pick up the phone, call the warden, call your congressman, find out what's going on. What happened? They sent somebody down there where she was and they did a raid. Am I right? They sure did. They raided the feds. Raided, the feds raided the feds after my sister was, was contacting everybody in Congress and everybody in the Senate. It didn't matter what state they was in. It didn't matter. They was contacting everybody, especially after I, they burnt me on the forehead and drug me on the floor and strangled me. So did I deserve that? No, because I'm, because I'm a woman of color, because I'm an activist, because I refuse to answer to criminal, because I maintain my innocence. No, I was at the same place that white woman was at. Y'all gotta, these well, families gotta step in, you know? Yeah, they're not fighting this fight alone. You're there with them, you know? And, you know, they have to, you have to understand that. If you can't get one, I'm pretty sure somebody's gonna listen to you so, and try to help. So, right. For clarification, it was more of a, I didn't witness any other things, when I say things was more warranted, it was more, I said, inmate towards inmate thing, because people wasn't, they it wasn't violent offenders the way I was. There'd probably be someone screaming on someone that did something wrong, or, you know, I haven't witnessed certain, I didn't witness certain abuse to speak on the abuse. That's why I say I, you know, my, my situation was a bit different. I've heard stories from certain things and things that have happened with Dr. Johnson and everything. I haven't, but anything that's what I said, what I had seen, it was more warranted from inmate to inmate, not something that the police have done or correction officers have done to an inmate because nobody deserves to be treated like an animal. Nobody deserves to be drug on the floor. Like she said, like nobody deserves any of those things. And 
I'm, I, do, I do feel bad for everybody that went through certain experiences because that's a tough place when you're going through the system. It's very tough to go, to deal with the system. If you go to you know, my, if you go to my go. website, CarmenStory.org, you will see about 50 letters that are on there from women that letters that I had smuggled out of there and also a makeshift a petition that we did that had like 79 or 80 uh, signatures on there with their fed numbers on there where women was being abused at Alderson Federal Prison Camp in West Virginia. So if that was happening at that camp, I can imagine what they doing at high security level prisons. So that's all I'm saying. So if, if, if anyone have any doubt about what I'm saying, check out CarmenStory.org and you'll see actual handwritten letters from the women where I smuggled those letters out the day that I left along with the makeshift petition. Thank you. And can I add this to, to your story too, Carmen? Yes. You know, I sat there and uh, I attended many days of, of your trial. You remember that, right? right? So I saw the mistreatment, the lies, all of it, the railroad, all of it. And what happened in the courtroom, the mistreatment into the uh, prison, camp, cages, how you call it, the mistreatment continued because it's nothing but an extension of the court system that railroaded you, with, along with many others. Like you saying that you have these letters from these these 50 women you know you know even though i was in a in a higher security i seen the mistreatment of the staff there was a brother that was from washington dc we were in a we was in the camp what they call uh allenwood camp there was a brother from dc he had a something like a year left on his on his sentence this brother was dying they would not even let this man go home and die. The warden could have released him and, and let him go home. The man was on his deathbed. He requested to go home and die. And they told him no. He had a year left. You know, I've, I've witnessed a lot of those different uh, treatments. There was times when they were rationing out these, um, these uh, desert, we called it desert storm food where they had those uh the u.s army and the marines use these these food containers or trays you you do something to it and it heats it up mm -hmm. and they wanted us to eat it so everybody on the compound was like no we're not eating that you feed you can feed that to a dog or something so you know what they did like on the third day when nobody would go down to eat they had a bunch of buses down sitting down there by the child hall and then they came in with their sort team or whatever they call it and start going and hand picking different people and grabbing them taking them down there pointing to the the child hall and said either you go in there or you getting on that bus so many of them guys went on that bus you see so and then they sent them on what we call a a, a world tour they send you from one institution to the next, all around the country. And by the time your your property get there, 
they sending you to another one. So they would do that all the time. They would send you from Pennsylvania all the way out to Long Park, California, and bring you all the way back. But they will make you stop at every federal destination simply because you you didn't want to eat the eat that ration food that they that they have for eight nine years. It just it's it's just the the things that they do to you in there. And if if you don't if you don't if you're not a strong individual. It can it can really really get to you. It can really get to you. And I and I and I witnessed uh, somebody who committed suicide. So the thing of it is that it's it's the way that the system is structured from the time that you are put into the courtroom, and then to the time you go through uh, incarceration, whether you wrongfully co convicted or whether you are convicted for something that you did. The point is, nobody should be mistreated at all. Nobody. So my question to you, to you guys is, what do you think it would take for, because you know, the, the prisons are private. They, they're private. They're not, they're not run by the government. However, they are funded by the government. Mm -hmm. What could we do? What could an individual or, you know, just like you said, she has petitions. What can a, a an American citizen do to to get someone from Congress or all Congress in general, the administration, judicial administration, to change some type of what's going on in those prisons and make them not, you know, people dying for no reasons and, and, and or not getting food or, or medications. What who can we put as a leader into this in that in that seat to make sure that these things are not happening and that people are being treated with a little bit of decency? I mean, I know you're there to do time, whether you did it or not, you're there. But that don't mean that you need to be treated like you sitting in a doghouse. Well, as you know, helping ourselves to transform our nonprofit, we will be working on some draft legislation, and we will also be fighting those eight crime act bills that are absolutely draconian. And um, so we got until what August 2022, somewhere around in there, to get the, the the draft legislation into on the Senate side and also on the 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 um, the Congress side. And then, um, of course, I sit on a bunch of different boards and a, a, a bunch of different committees, and I'm building an army. Uh, and I'm I'm building an army of people, and I'm using the same strategy that Martin Luther King used. Subjectively, back then, if I was my age, I wouldn't have been a Martin Luther King follower. I respect him. However, I understand a little bit more towards the end, his strategy that he had to use. And so I'm using that strategy. And so in the next 30 days or so, we're going to start writing some draft legislation. We have senators and Congress people that are wanting draft legislation on my experience, which will in turn help so many others that are behind the wall. 
So what is, we, what is your what is the what is going to be the top priority in regards to the legislation? Um, the top priority for me would be I don't I, well you know I don't think first time offenders should be in 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 jail prison camps or cages. I don't think violent you know people that are that they they consider as as not violent i don't think they should be in in jail prison camps or cages i think that it should be more rehabilitation out here in 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 in, in society um because there's certainly not any rehabilitation behind the wall um but you know i think that when someone emphatically say that they are are innocent it should be some type of commission or something that's set up because the way they did me it was just absolutely horrible and um i um, I, I don't think that um you know i think that if, you know a lot of these jails and these these prisons need to be closed down um I think that people who pay taxes need to question the fact of why are their tax money going to prison jails, camps, and cages. But yet, you know, some elected officials, some judges, big corporations are getting residuals, billions and billions and billions of dollars of residuals from these these jails and, and, and camps and cages. And I just think that, that, that that's an issue. I think that no one deserves to be treated like an animal or a dog, mm -hmm. um, and and so. But we 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 have uh, you know about nine or ten of them that we'll be working on. But trying to dismantle these crime act bills um, is you know I, I'm part of an organization who's only focusing on the 1994 one, and I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense because if we dismantle the 1994 one. We still got the other seven, so that that's that doesn't make sense. But of course, I can't run their show. I just got to keep gathering my my people and my groups and organizations from around the country, and then we all are going to systematically file um, this this draft legislation in state on the state side and also on the federal side. So we have a system that we are putting together in order to make every senator and every congressman move the way they're supposed to move. Now, I got a phone call today, and um, they were saying that they wanted me to come protest. Well, I, I don't protest. I, I don't. But what I will do is, like you guys know, I will pick up that phone. I will make phone calls. I, and, and, and like I said, and I will do draft legislation because they felt defeated. They went in protest and then they called me and they said, Carmen, what do we do now? I'm like, well, this morning before y'all left, I told y'all what y'all needed to do. But y'all said y'all was going to do this. And I respect that. I understand that. But it didn't even run on the it didn't even run on the news. And they were they were de felt defeated. And I'm like, OK, you know. Text me tomorrow. Let me see what time we can talk. But y'all gonna have to either listen to me or or you just gonna have to just keep doing it your way until something magical happen. But unless you got uh unless you got the whole United States, the whole world, like the George Floyd thing marching for you, they're not gonna do anything. If you got one or two people here or there, they're not gonna do anything. But if everybody comes that, together, that march, that march was 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 publicized and paid for by the, the one percenters. That's why it was so big. And if you ain't got no one percenters behind you, backing you, 
It's not going to be on no news. It's not going to be seen. And you're right. You know, you got to pick up these phones because you can march out there all you want to. Go on out there in the cold by yourself. You know what? You, uh, Carmen, you just said something. You said something about uh, first song you, you asked the question, you know, pretty much what is what what's the solution to this? And it's it's crazy to me. But when you understand how the system is set up, you, you think about it. You have nonviolent offenders sitting in there doing five, 10, 20 years. It's costing anywhere between 30 to 60,000 on each person for per year. So number one, we know that it's a system set up to make money. Now, if you got all these nonviolent people who, who make up pretty much a large proportion of the prison industrial complex, why not utilize that money and train them a trade computer science you you telling me you willing to waste that money to keep them incarcerated but you won't utilize that money to the real way they took a lot of those programs out of the uh the prison system that that's a part of uh, rehabilitating but it just it just puzzles me that you can spend that type of money and then you go and look at these judges around the country who I, it was believed it was some judges up in Pennsylvania who just got uh, convicted for sending these uh, young uh, young men to prison because it was a pay. A, they was getting kickbacks from those private industry, uh, private prisons to, to incarcerate them on stupid stuff. And it just goes to show you that it is ingrained in the system. And I'm going to tell you, you think about this. At the end of slavery, you ever heard of vagrancy? Mm -mm. Vagrancy is a law that they would, when the slaves were freed, they was trying to figure a way how to get them back on the plantation in the South. Okay, this was after the compromise of 1876 or 77. They, the laws in the South, it was part of the Jim Crow law. If you was out walking down Main Street in the town and they pulled up on you say, hey, where you work at? And you told them, I don't have a job. They locked you up and put you in prison. And then when you and then when you got out, they put you on a uh, 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 your old plantation, but you would become like a sharecropper or something like that. Or somebody had to vouch for you and say that you worked for them. But if you didn't, they locked you up and put you in prison. So when you look at that and then you come up to today, nothing has changed. The only thing that has changed really is the way that they doing it. Because they keep they've been doing the same exact thing over and over and over. And we keep falling for the same thing over and over again. And before we move on to Sonia, uh, Ms. Dawson just texted me and she said that in Harris County Jail in Houston, Texas, almost 20, 19 to 20 deaths have happened by the end of 2021. And then she also said on the other side of the point in Harrison County uh, Jail, a female sheriff was beaten in the face and jaw broken from a violent male inmate who wasn't supervised. 
So I just wanted to um, acknowledge Ms. Dawson, I got your text and I appreciate you listening and family out there, hit the thumbs up, subscribe, and I kick it on over to Sonia. So just real quick, before we move on to the tinfoil hat news with Ms. Uh, Sonia, I just want to read uh, some of the chats in the comments. So uh, King B said, good show, uh, Dr. Carmen. And uh, Michael Vaughn, I don't know what you're talking about, Sweet Pea. So I have no idea. You need to put a little bit more on that. Um, Veronica Cunningham, uh, and I, you all mentioned this, but she also said, here is the true issue. The prison system hide behind the system. At mm -hmm. Alderson, they actually mixed non-C-19 inmates into the general population. The health treatments are deplorable. Okay, so I think you all spoke on that. Um, and then uh, Veronica also says, and I was there when that happened to Dr. Carmen. Okay. All right. Uh, so we'll kick it over to Ms. Sonia to do the tinfoil hat news. Well, today's news and I'm going to discuss in regards to um, all these new, it's been going on actually for quite some time, um, illegal immigrants coming into this country. Technically, they're not illegal because the government is allowing them to come, put uh, papers in their hand and saying, okay, you know, you need to show up for court such and such date and ship them on out where they have to go. Um, just the other day, a news network, um, posted on their website um, that the government was covering up um, flights that, where they were taking um, the illegal, illegal aliens from the Mexico border. They were Haitians, Mexicans, Honduras. I mean, they were coming from all over the place. They were flying them from their own countries to the border, pulling them over and um, getting them on up high, excuse me, private planes and sending them to these airports and they didn't know where they were coming from. Um, it was one that took place recently um, out of Pennsylvania, out of a Pennsylvania airport um, where the security guards were out and a plane pulled up and the Homeland Security was on the plane with these legal aliens and they were asking questions of you know, you know, where, where are you coming from? Why is these people coming on, you know, coming into our state? And we have a clip in regards to that, um, if you want to play it. Okay, I'll cue it up. Okay, uh, give me a second to get to it. Okay, and I'm gonna uh, try this time so you all can hear it as well. So I have to reshare. <laughs> so, all right, there we go. Okay, and this is from Fox News. I get the whole secrecy and all this but this is even about my thing. You know why? Because I get out. Betraying the, betraying the American people. Shocking footage reveals a DHS contractor working that airplane, venting his frustrations as the Biden administration 
relocates plane loads of illegal migrants in the dead of night after airports are closed. Those flights arriving after the curfew, which is a breach of security protocols. Here to react, we've got New York GOP Congressman Nicole Maliotakis and Claudia Tenney. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. So, um, Congresswoman uh, Tenney, in the body cam video, you know, there's this, this local police officer and he's just going, you know, a plane flies in in the middle of the night after the airport's closed. I, I don't have any idea who's on the plane or who you people are. And essentially he said, uh, at one point the guy said, why the secrecy? You know why. This is the contractor. You know why. Look who's in office. That's why. Come on. So I guess elections have consequences. This is how Joe Biden handles migrants. Yeah, this is a complete aggravated dereliction of duty, which is why last night on Twitter, I called for Joe Biden to be impeached and removed. His primary obligation as the commander in chief and the president of the United States is to enforce our laws, to live up to his oath, uh, to enforce our border security, and also to tell the truth to the American people. This footage was unearthed by a FOIL request from former Westchester uh, County Executive Rob Astorino, and where is the current uh, county executive, uh, Executive Latimer, not doing anything about no. the fact that these migrants are coming in at the taxpayer's expense, not being vetted as far as we know. And uh, when I visited the border back in March, I saw young children and all kinds of people being boarded on the planes, being shipped around the country at the taxpayer's expense. And our DFAS, our Defense Finance and Accounting Service employees, were asked to take leave, right. paid leave by the taxpayers to foster these children because we don't have the resource, and adults, by the way, there were adults coming off these planes, uh, to foster these people and to pay for these people to be relocated in central right. and upstate New York. Unbelievable. Congresswoman Maliotakis? Look, aiding and abetting illegal immigration is a violation of the law, and you have it coming from the president of the United States. It's completely unacceptable. The Supreme Court ruled that he had to reinstate remain in Mexico. He has clearly not done that. Uh, in addition to that, you know that the drug cartels are making billions and billions of dollars every month, human trafficking, drug trafficking. We have the highest rate of fentanyl deaths in this country among 18, 18 to 45-year-olds. It's a leading cause of death. And yet this president is on the side of the drug cartels and not the American people. We have many pieces of legislation that will address this very issue, but we need to take back the House first. Well, you know, uh, Joe Biden's got a problem with the border. He's also got a terrible problem with crime here in New York City. The mayor is going to meet with the president next week. In the meantime, the news yesterday was six uh, congressional members, all Republicans, wrote a letter to the governor, Kathy Hochul, here in New York, talking about how the mayor, Eric Adams, is trying to do something about bail reform. You guys wrote a letter and you support, you know, him doing something about it. Hope she does as well. Claudia Tenney, uh, do you have confidence? I think we went bypass what what I was talking about went further. However, the thing is, a lot of people don't like Fox News and because they say they're a conspiracy channel. However, that particular video that you just seen has been throughout social media for the last several days. And then you have the press secretary who clearly went on television the last couple of days stating that they were actually children 
that they were shipping across the United States that have given them places to stay, which is not true. If you sat there and watched that video, you've seen adult males coming off those planes and they were actually putting them on buses and shipping them to different gas stations and, and shopping malls and dropping them off. Where they're going is beyond me. However, this is our taxpayer money that we're used that they're using to do this. And my question to, to the American people is, why are they shipping all these people here? What is the purpose? I know right now we have a lot of people who is not working. Is that so many hiring uh, people need people uh, employees to come out here and work? Are they going to give these people jobs and take your jobs and then you SOL and you have nothing to actually because you're waiting on the next big job to come and say, okay, I'll just sit at home and wait for the best. They shipping, I mean, it's been over a good million immigrants that just came in this country. So I'm trying to figure out what is the purpose of them shipping them here without any, any questions. No one is questioning it. They're not checking them for any COVID, but yet we gotta wear masks and we gotta wait, we gotta get all these different things to keep safe from other people. It don't make sense to me. And that is my take for my 10-4. Hopefully American people, if you're out there, you can tell us what do you think in regards to them sending all these immigration uh, people here. So how you know they're not getting tested? They get maybe they got tested on the plane. Maybe maybe they got they maybe they got yeah. They had them on a the border, and border patrols was basically stating that they were not testing them. They were taking them in, giving them paperwork, and telling them to show off for court on a certain date and time and release them. And a lot of them had plane tickets already in hand, credit cards. They had instructions in their language telling them what they needed to do once they got on the U.S. soil. And these people at the border are not uh, uh, not allowed to do their job. Sending them back to the border and wait. Now, our president said that they were going to go back to um, how Trump had it set up where you caught, you, you go back to your own country and you wait till your hearing day come. They have not started yet. But it, it just don't make sense that we're having to pay for this and we're struggling. They just went up on the gas. They're just going up on all the, the food. I mean, your income ain't going nowhere. We, we can't afford to do it. I mean, why do I have to sit there and, and bust my behind? And then I got to every year sit there and do my taxes and have to owe back taxes. But you got people in here sitting on the behinds doing nothing. That ain't fair. And that's my take on that. What's your take, Sherry? I don't necessarily, I, I don't have one on that. Oh, okay. Roland, did you want to add anything to that? I would have to do a little bit more research on it um because that's just the first time i'm being aware of, of this right here this particular thing uh that was shown by fox news i would have to do a little bit more research on it um so i mean my my comments right now and i'm gonna hold them because you know they pick and choose 
and it's been going on for years. They pick and choose who they want to allow in here. Uh, you you just don't know. So I, I I would rather hold my comment on that before I do a little bit more research on it myself and try to see if I can find out some, uh, you know, some, some more on the, the issue. Can I ask a question? I know I'm the engineer behind the scenes. So, <laughs> but I just want to put a, a half of a cent on it. So did, did you hear anything about uh, Sonia that supposedly and allegedly that President, President Obama did the same thing under his presidency where he was bringing in um, immigrants in secrecy and he was using government employees to do it. Uh, I know there was some YouTube videos a couple of years ago uh, with them interviewing uh, some of the government employees and how they were coming in on buses and um, how they were instructed to give them social services. So like uh, food stamps and setting up places for them to stay, et cetera, et cetera. So now again, I don't know if this is true. I just a couple of years ago saw uh, a couple of YouTube videos that was floating around where these uh, supposed government employees were whistleblowers saying that that was going on under the Obama administration. Yeah, and they were setting them up in, mostly it was in California in the Arizona era, area, and they were putting them in hotels. They were paying for their hotel bills. Some of the hotels I heard was nice. And it was, um, like I said, they were bringing them over here. They was giving them instructions on what they need to do in order to get a green card, to get a job, um, you know, instead of having to get put out. Yeah, they, they were doing that a lot back then. And a lot of them, um, they were saying that they wasn't separating the kids back then, and they were. They had them in two separate areas. They had the adults in one and the kids in the other. So, I mean, they've been doing this for uh, quite some time now. But the purpose of it, I'm still trying to get to the bottom of that. I'm still trying to get to the bottom of why they're allowing, because you go to any other country and you got to go through so much scrutiny just to even get into to that country. While we opening up our borders and allowing so many people to come here when we can't even afford to take care of the ones we have. I mean, the streets in, in, over in in Oregon, in, in, in Washington State, in California, people are all up and down the strips, homeless. And they're not, they're not all from, you know, from, they're not all immigrants. They're mostly Americans. And I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of them have issues, you know, mental issues where they don't want to be, and, you know, they enjoy being homeless if that's what they choose to do. But it don't make no sense. Why bringing all these people here and we already have issues that we have to clean up first? It's got to be something behind this, but I'm going to work and find out. Okay, thank you, lady. Rhonda, do we have any uh, more questions from um, our audience? Audience is quiet on this one, <laughs> so they quiet on this one. <laughs> you know, you know, you know. When we start, you know, talking about different presidents and get a little weird, it gets a little strange. How many minutes do we have left? 
you have about uh, 15 minutes. So I think we should, uh, number one, before we start winding down, can you just kind of remind the family um, listeners of, of how you have an upcoming book coming out? Uh, kind of give a high level of what the book is about, uh, when it's coming out, and then I'm going to drop in the chat again where they can pre-order the book. Absolutely. So my book is called The Pretense of Justice, as you can see, and um, we're taking pre-orders now, and um, the book is due to drop March 2022. And um, we chose March 2022 because it's Women's Month. And, um, and I just thought that it was appropriate because for me personally, I survived something so horrific. And even though I'm still surviving it and, and, and going through mental health therapy every single Friday for the last three and a half years because of what I've been through, um, I, I, I go into to details about that. And I also go into details about my childhood and I go into details about how I became a, a, you know, a self-made millionaire at 37. And I go into details on how, you know, the, the, the government, you know, you know, raided me and, and took my money and how, you know, people always talk about, what is it called, um, Roland Tulsa? They only talk about Tulsa and they talk about- um, Black Wall Street. Yeah, and they talk about uh, Rosewood, but it was about 40 or 50 other towns, I'm making a point. There was other 40, 50 towns that was ran by black people that they burnt to the ground. And um, so in today's society, what they do is when you are successful and you are a, a person of color, they, they seize your assets. So they do it, they still doing the same thing, they just do it a little differently. So I talk about that. I talk about how they dieseled me. Roland had talked a little bit about that earlier, but you called it something else, transported or something. I called it diesel and they, they sent me from jail to jail until I got to my destination. We talk about that um, in the book. Um, I go into you know the experience inside there. I go into the experience of going to the Supreme Court twice. I go into the experience of, of coming home and, and, and things that I, I was not prepared to, to, to deal with and did not know that I had to deal with, the embarrassment, the shame, no matter how many accolades I had, no matter how successful I was before I went on my sabbatical, it didn't matter. I still walk with that shame and that embarrassment and how I was suicidal. I had 20 something ways how I was gonna kill myself. I talk about that. Um, and then I, I ended with the fact that you know, now I sit on these different boards and one of the most powerful boards that I sit on now by invite is I sit on the board for the U.S. Attorney for the District of Maryland, the head fed in the state of Maryland. I sit on his re-entry board for advocacy and legislation. And that to me is a powerful piece. And the reason why it's a, it's a powerful piece because that's the same office, not the same players, but the same office who did what they did to me. And so when I was asked to sit on this board for like two seconds, I thought, well, what, what's going, is this a setup? Is this a trap? You know, what's going on here? 
And then I realized what a difference that I can make for my people. So I go into details of my continued sabbatical and the work that I continue to do to get people released from behind the wall, to get people brought home from behind the wall, to get people medical care, to get people, you know, the, the, the things that they deserve while they're behind the wall, to help with post-conviction, to help with participatory defense. I go into all those details. And I can tell you, they'll never be able to do to me what they did to me before. They'll never be able to do that to me again. And I end with that. But on a good note, I want to say that my assistant, I think he's listening, listening on the, uh, the call as well. And uh, we just got uh, uh, sponsored by uh, Senator Rosapap on a piece of draft legislation that we did and uh, Delicate Moon in the House for the state of Maryland. And Roland had mentioned how he sat through my trial and how they had so much trickery and all kinds of stuff that was going on. And so my favorite slogan is, um, injustice happened in an empty courtroom. Well, the, the, the draft legislation that is on the floor now is called Virtual Access Act. And so um, I am very uh, excited. I believe Edwan is on the call. I'm very excited that you know we collaborated together to make this happen based on my experience and based on so many others' experience. So this is the first piece of draft legislation that that we've done. And like I said, we got what nine, ten more to go by August 2022. So I'm really, really excited. And the bill number, if you want to check that out, is, give me one, one second. That's what I was looking for. Give me one second. Pull it up. Darn, darn, darn. Anyway, keep talking. I'll tell you in a minute what the bill number is. Look, really fast before we go, because I just to um, put a highlight for helping ourselves to transform. We do now have a shop open. Um, we'll be selling mugs. There's insulated cups. There's phone cases. We have apparel from hoodies to shirts to hats. Um, you may want to go check that out and help support um, from helping the citizens from the DMV to transform their lives. Um, Dr. Chalman had founded for helping ourselves to transform, you know, President Rowland. They have been doing such an amazing job with helping ourselves to transform. Um, they are helping to reduce the recidivism that's out there by helping them employment from it's several things. I'm sorry, I've been a little off for today, but from helping from the with the employment with several services with birth certificates, IDs, peer mentoring. Um, it's been so many sort of um, helping them, you know, do better with budgeting and finances, whatever they they need assistance with. If they need to assistance with with housing. Um, it's just been an amazing journey trying to be in a part of helping ourselves transform, but please 
like, share, subscribe. Please check out the website. I'm going to drop it in the chat for the merchandise. Um, it's here to support, to help the citizens that's in the DMV. So please go back and check out the website. It's really nice things. The clothing and the hats are quality, so you will enjoy them. And on, and on another note, can I can I mention this? Um, I haven't given any of you guys an update on this. I'm sorry. The coat, hats, gloves, and I had some socks to throw in with it. The drive that we had going for helping ourselves to transform, I passed them all out. Uh, and the people who received them uh, were happy because most of the time, when when I gave those coats out and well when we gave them out, I mean, so most of those people, I would be at a 7-Eleven or a grocery store. And I mean, it would be people standing there with no coat on at all. And the temperature is 20, 25 degrees. And when I gave them the coat and the first thing I said was this is coming from helping ourselves to transform. And these people are very happy about what the, what we're doing in the community uh, from everything that we offer. So the the coat drive was a success and uh, we're still we're still at it. So if you if you want to donate, please do, um, because we're going to keep doing it, even in the summertime, the spring and the summer. People need socks. People need T-shirts, underwear, things like that. So please continue to uh to uh, contribute contribute to uh, this cause. Thank you. So, Sherry, don't you work for helping ourselves to transform? Yes, that's why I said it's been an amazing journey working with you guys. Like, I've, oh, okay. I've, it's, like, it's been amazing to be a part of it. It's been amazing to watch how everybody's been getting helped and no one have returned back to prison since they've been a part of helping ourselves transform. So to see that it's still a hundred percent rate at the moment, you know, I, I, I love it. I enjoy it. It's, it's great to help them. It's great that you guys stand on your word with the type of help that you're providing. And I'm just, I'm just happy to be a part. So real quick. So the house bill for the virtual access act um, the House bill is HB 647, which is sponsored by Delicate Moon and Senator Rosa Pep. The, the bill is bill number is SB 469. And so I'm very, very excited. And, um, and this um, bill was scratched from my head because of what I personally went through. And the fact that I've, since I've been home, I've sat in over 3,700 bond review hearings under life after release. I am the director of court wash judicial accountability over on that side. And, um, and you know, injustice happened in, a, in an empty courtroom and things must change. So with that said, I appreciate you guys being with us this evening. Please make sure you purchase my book. Please make sure you check out our website. And if you're interested in volunteering as a court watch under a pillar of life after release, um, if you're in, well, actually we have volunteers all around the United States, we do it virtually. So if you're interested in court watching, please contact me. My number is 202-674-6300 and I appreciate you coming and-, and
Thank you.